Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. According to the police officer I spoke to, they went through a list of questions in order to ascertain whether or not she was safe and determined that she was okay to be on her own on the streets of Victoria, barefoot in November, and they left her there. That was the last time anyone ever saw her. You are listening to Emma Filipoff is Missing, a series by the Nighttime Podcast. Welcome back to Emma Filipoff is Missing, a series covering the still unexplained 2012 disappearance of then 26-year-old Emma Filipoff. At this point of the series, the seventh episode, we're approaching the end of what to me, personally, was an eye-opening journey. We started the series by learning about and digging a bit deeper into the details of Emma's disappearance. And although these episodes featured a lot of detail concerning Emma's last known activities, myself and many others were simply left puzzled by Emma's behavior in the days leading up to her disappearance. In fact, I believe one of the reasons this case has so many plausible theories is due to Emma's strange activity leaving both her and her case enigmatic. And that's why I tackled the series in the way that I did. My goal was to better understand who Emma is, and in doing so, hopefully better understand her activities on her last known days. And with that as my mission, I turned to those who knew Emma best, and thanks to their thoughts and their memories, we managed to follow along with Emma's life from childhood up until the days leading up to her disappearance. And now in part seven, we will meet the last in our series of guests, and he will provide another revealing look at Emma. He was mentioned briefly by Micah in the last episode. She had explained having returned from vacationing overseas and learning that Emma had been eating only fish and staying with a friend on a houseboat. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, we'll hear about what Emma was up to after she backed out of the vacation with Micah, instead living in a state of homelessness among the Victoria Harbour. Our guest is Emma's very like-minded friend, Connor. Back in like 2012, before you met Emma, like what were you doing in Victoria and you know, what was your life like? Yeah, so at the time uh, I was living on the boat, the same boat that was tied up uh, in front of sort of downtown Victoria, like in front of the Wharf Street Harbor. Yeah, it was a pretty exciting time for me, like socially and just a lot of different things happening. And uh, so my friend started this ice cream truck business up right beside Redfish Bluefish, uh, which was the really trendy, busy fish restaurant that was right on the ocean. And that's where I met Emma and where she also began working later. So that whole like area was a really kind of idyllic summer spot. And uh, 
I would sit in, in you know the ice cream truck and just serve ice cream to tourists and make a lot of money and then my boat was right beside and so that that was kind of uh the lifestyle back then and yeah it was a pretty exciting summer yeah do you recall the first time you met emma and if so can you tell me about how you first came to know her yeah i at the time was uh really good friends with micah and micah just came strolling down like just to say hi to me and she brought brought Emma and I just remember it was like a summery day and uh, I totally was super curious about this girl she was like waving this I think poi stick of some kind and just really smiley and funny and the two of them together were kind of had this like Peter Pan energy like they were extremely giggly and very playful and I, I just remember just finding them an absolute joy to come visit me when I was kind of sitting there bored at work. And uh, yeah, so that was that was the first and that was like right at maybe the beginning of summer, like probably May or June or something uh, of 2012. Yeah. OK, wow. Um, now, so you, through Micah, you had basically come in contact with Emma and were, you know, uh, interested in, in her, in her relationship with Micah and whatnot. How, how did you go from kind of just becoming an acquaintance of Emma to becoming, you know, a, a pretty good friend of hers? Can you talk about how your relationship kind of evolved from, you know, the girl you met a couple times to getting to the point where she's staying on your boat and whatnot? Well, after that, maybe a couple weeks later, or maybe just over the course of the next month, she just basically began hanging out in that sort of one spot, like just that little oceanside area, like right by the restaurant. And then there was like a little park that she would also hang out in maybe 10 seconds away. And she was just always like around and uh, we kind of just developed a friendship because I think I was maybe the only person she really felt comfortable talking to because we'd always just start talking about philosophies or, or just how ridiculous the rich tourists were in the lineup for the fish store. And we kind of like shared, I think, maybe a similar a similar fantasy of, you know, finding maybe a more free-spirited way of life that maybe just wouldn't involve being part of the system. I, I, I think that's kind of how we kind of began a friendship was we just sit around and the backdrop of all the tourists and all the activity was kind of a funny juxtaposition mm -hmm. to us just kind of fantasizing about building a raft or living in the woods or just these kind of things. And I, I just found her really like she had this really kind of lucid energy like just she had this very sort of clear energy to her um, and was very removed from the usual small chat or kind of social niceties of most people who would you know come up and chat mm -hmm. and uh, she was definitely a different kind of person than anyone else hanging around there so I mean our friendship was really her hanging out in that area like basking in the sun and then maybe every 45 minutes coming to the ice cream truck to chat for a couple minutes and then 
getting a cup of water. <laughs> okay. And, and yeah. what kind of things were you like when she would come up to you to chat? Like, would it be often this kind of fantasy or, you know, talking about your ideologies and such? Or what was like the small talk like with Emma at that point? It, it was very fantastical. It's like very, and I, I, I think the more I hear about her, I kind of realize, I think I just knew one side of her, you know, but the side that I saw, she was very, uh, very like playfully funny and very witty. I mean, we would just usually kind of just have observational humor, almost like a Seinfeld episode where just because of me sitting in this truck and then her kind of just hanging around and with maybe 500 tourists around, it was always just something to sort of joke about. Like when I the the people that I speak to that were were close to Emma, especially so in this point of her of her life, often describe her behavior as being you know unusual and odd and extremely private. Like, did you see the, this side of her that was just you know not so much playful but more so unusual? To be honest, when I first met her, and ninety percent of my friendship with her, it was during the hot summer season, and that's. That's, I think, when she was happiest because she could just sleep outside. She didn't have to really worry about anything. Also, I never saw her when she had to balance job or rent or anything. Mm -hmm. So I think in that regard, like, I might be one of the only people who kind of knew her when she was kind of in this, like, blissful state with no responsibilities. So I never really saw that side of her until maybe the very 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 end i kind of thought she was acting a bit strange but i also found i think a lot of her behavior like a few of my friends or just other people around would think she was pretty pretty strange because every day she would like sit under the same tree for an hour and kind of or just go and be enamored by the sight of the ocean uh, crashing against the you know shore, but that to me, I mean, I, I actually thought it was quite inspiring because I, I thought she was almost having like a psychedelic uh, divine experience without really needing anything. So I mean, I in a way, I, I actually thought she was really quite a very ethereal person. I understood. And uh, yeah. were, were you were when you were this close with her at this point? A, a lot has been said about her health uh, specifically like her eating beha- behavior being very unusual and her yeah. eating only specific things did you see this side of her and if so what did you think of this i at first thought it was not that crazy i mean i think i think part of the reason she enjoyed hanging out with me was cuz i was kind of open to a lot of things that she believed in and I mean, I had at that time done a lot of reading on fasting and I had went to India the year before and, you know, it's pretty common over there. I didn't really think that she was that she was crazy for that. I did think she was being a tad extreme at first, mm-hmm. but also I have to say, like, she looked incredibly uh, kind of luminous, like her health just like the brightness of her eyes and like the whiteness of her teeth and just her skin and everything was pretty unique. And in a way, I think that was kind of from some of 
the effects of fasting where it's like she was just running off of, you know, like she, she definitely looked like she was incredibly healthy. And I think most people, I feel though, like she was quite underweight, which mm -hmm. I think was some of the people's concerns who kind of got to know her was like, she just wouldn't eat anything but fish that I think was maybe responsible for her being quite fragile, I think, for the outside world, because she would just only be eating fish and drinking water. So it was, I think, kind of hard on her to, like, even talk to most people, because they might just be asking all these questions. And I, I mean, she was, she was pretty spacey in a lot of ways, like her d demeanor. And I think a lot of that was from the diet that she was on. And yeah, but I know, I think a lot of people were pretty worried about her extreme diet. But at, at the time, I didn't really think it was impacting her negatively. I mean, I, she seemed really happy whenever I would see her, so. Mm -hmm. When, when you first got to know her and first met her, I believe she was living with Micah at that time, but it got to a point where she was no longer living with Micah. Micah went away to the, I think it was the States or something for a period of time, as she described. There was a period there where Emma was kind of living back and forth between the women's shelter, as well as they said, uh, people have said she was staying on, on a series of boats. Um, can you talk about what you know about her living arrangements during the time that you were close with her? I think for her, the shelter was kind of like, like a very convenient crash pad in a way like she, because when I would see her down there, like she was just hanging out there from maybe nine in the morning to nine at night. And then she would just cruise back to the shelter where I'm pretty sure all the staff, she said were, you know, incredibly fond of her. So they always kind of just made sure to have like a little bed for her. Mm. So yeah, like her time at the shelter from my eyes was very much just a convenient place to rest at the end. But I, I don't think she really spent a lot of time there in the daytime. Okay. Um, and then the, I feel like the theme of the boats was very much like maybe 10 days on my boat over the whole summer and then the actual maybe most serious stay on a boat was with my neighbor who also was just very very fond of her and i think just was very excited to take her in she had a like a you know large kind of old rustic 40-foot boat that had a lot of space so she gave emma the downstairs of it Okay, and when you um, when you say neighbor, it's like you lived on a boat, and sh this neighbor lived on the boat next to you, and the like the yeah, I'm, I'm picturing yeah. like a yacht club sort of scene where this boat is just tied up next to yours. Yeah, I mean it's like a yacht club, but our boats are very much kind of like on the lower scale of luxuries. So like <laughs> mine was just like a small sailboat, and then my neighbor's was a fixed up, dilapidated, almost like an old tugboat kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, so my neighbor uh, is quite quite a good-hearted person. I think it had quite a lot of experiences in her past 
that were pretty rough. And I think when she met Emma, she very much both wanted to live with her, but also kind of just wanted to offer this nice person a place to stay. So. Was em- before Emma lived on the boat with your neighbor, she had stayed with you for a period on the boat or was it just kind of, you know, like random nights she'd, she'd crash out on your boat? Like- yeah, there was a, only a certain, I think you could stay at the shelter for five days in a row or there was some kind of system that they had. And so she, I think, stayed with me like once for three days, maybe. And then at the very end of summer, I think she stayed for maybe another two. But it was also very much like I would just go to work, spend my whole day out, and then she would just leave a couple bags on the boat. And then at night, she would just crash on the boat. But I wouldn't really say she lived there like as far as like day-to-day life or also cooking food or I mean she was just kind of like there to crash and then she'd just be out and then same for me at the time because I would just go to work for maybe 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. or something and um, but it was it was just kind of mainly because my boat was just a 30 second walk from where she was always hanging out so a couple of nights I can remember when the shelter filled up she she would just come over and crash. Uh, I've I've heard a story several times, um, and I don't know if you're comfortable sharing this, but I, I've heard a story about uh, she was living on the boat with your neighbor, and for for a period of time, but um, they had a some sort of conflict, and Emma went to you after this conflict uh, regarding um, I think uh, the neighbor had requested Emma pitch in towards rent. Are you able to tell me what, what had happened in that case or, or what you remember about this? Yeah, so she had been there for maybe two weeks. And yeah, so one night at maybe six in the six at night, she came over and she was like not terribly upset, but she just kind of looked. She kept saying how like she's so happy to be out of there. I was just wondering if, she could crash with me that night and um i had said it's probably not the best night because there was a girl i had just started kind of seeing or dating and and she was she was going to be coming over that night and i just said but you're welcome to leave your stuff here and emma just said yeah i'll just uh, go to the shelter um and i i didn't really think anything of it at the time because it was just a perfectly sunny summer night. Emma was kind of doing this for the whole year, so I didn't, I didn't really feel like it was any big deal. And I just told her if she got stranded, she could just come back later mm-hmm. that that evening. And uh, also, at at the time, I had completely just thought that this whole thing with uh, the neighbor was just going to blow over. I mean, I, I had no idea that it was severe in any way I, I just thought they had a little tiff and then emma was just going to go for like a walk or just go maybe just away for like a day or two back to the shelter and then yeah that that was the last time i saw her oh that was okay and this was was late that summer you said this was mid-october this was at the end of the summer season of her job because she had just finished redfish mm. And then that's when she was staying with my uh, neighbor. So okay. And then I 
I didn't see her for two weeks until until that all happened with the missing. Okay. Yeah, that was a pretty surreal time because I definitely went through a bit of a phase of like pretty intense regret for wishing I had uh, like forced her to stay over or, or, or just, but I mean, I, I kept asking her if she was okay. And, and she, she, she seemed like just really excited to leave that boat and just in the circumstance, it, it just seemed entirely normal uh, for her to just want to go back to the shelter. So I, I didn't, I didn't really, it didn't feel like kind of turning away someone in need. It was, it was, because uh, she, she basically said that she was just super happy to be out of that boat. So, did did she explain to you what the what exactly the conflict was that she had with the your neighbor? No, she was pretty vague. I think she was saying that Loretta, the woman, um, I kind of forget what she was saying, but she was just saying that uh, she was she was uh, kind of getting after Emma or ab- about something, but I don't remember Emma saying it was about money because Loretta after told me that it was about rent. But at the time, it all just seemed really like minor because Emma just kind of like came over and it was just kind of like a this small tiff feeling. I didn't really think that Loretta had kicked her out and I I don't feel like Loretta actually did kick her out I think it was more just the prospect of money just really triggered Emma How did you find out that she was missing? Do you remember first learning about this? Yeah, I saw it on Facebook and uh, was pretty shocked. Like, also at the same time, I mean, I I really didn't believe that she was missing because at the time, I mean, she was always she was always slightly removed from the world anyway. So, I mean, I, I, I just figured that she was like just camping somewhere or she had just went to another town or I, I didn't really fully digest it. I think after maybe two or three months, because that's kind of the person I knew in the summer was just, I, I just thought it was so likely that she had just, hitchhiked to a Gulf Island or just went camping or was just living in Beacon Hill Park or something like I I definitely didn't think that she was actually gone at the time oh wow you had said earlier that I had asked about um the side of Emma you've known and if if you ever encountered kind of the more unusual or, or paranoid version of Emma I think you had said towards the end of your your time with Emma you had you had seen some hints of that was in hindsight now looking back was there anything about her that like any moments that you had with her that you recall as just being you know really off-putting yeah well the more I think about it she was very extreme for who she wanted to be around mm-hmm. and at the time I didn't find it worrisome or strange but I just found I just thought that's just her style but she 
never really wanted to leave that area and also didn't really like she she had no habits like coffee or smoking or drinking of any kind so she didn't really want to be around that either so anything that wasn't purely sitting around or being in the sun or meditating was very much something she didn't want to do so a few times when I tried to invite her to an event or just go into town with her or go to a party or anything um, she just really didn't want to go and I can remember once when my friends came to pick me up we were just going to go to a friend's gathering of some kind I think it was like a house party or like a little music night and Emma got in the car and then right when we were about to leave she just decided she didn't she didn't want to come and I, I just I kind of started to see a little bit more of how extreme of a bubble she was putting herself in with just living down there that's I think a reason we went from maybe hanging out every day for a month or two in the summer at the ice cream truck to, towards the end of summer I was probably going out to different things every day or just I kind of stopped hanging out with her so much because I knew she didn't really want to do any of that but I yeah I can really recall the only time I thought she was exhibiting some signs of instability was maybe two weeks before the incident with uh, the neighbor uh, when I was like walking around the wharf and she was walking by me and we stopped and chatted for maybe just five or six minutes but she was just saying how she was having a really hard time now that it was like raining I think when the summer ended I think she was having a really hard time adjusting to the fact that it was going to be a different kind of lifestyle and I think I, I just kind of started to see how like anything but what she was doing in the summer, that kind of like euphoria that like the simplicity of it all and the fact that she could be outside for 12 hours a day, when that started to change, I, I, that was the only real instance I can remember seeing this side of her that I thought was quite prone to like being quite anxious and, and uh, I think just overwhelmed. She just kind of seemed overwhelmed with life down at the wharf when it wasn't beautifully sunny and then I think the money thing was a big breaking point for her because I, I don't think that she had to really worry about money the whole summer and I think that 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 uh, triggered some kind of like part of her that she was kind of running away from and now uh, you mentioned when when you first learned of her disappearing you kind of expect that she was just off somewhere, you know, hitchhiking or, you know, just made her way somewhere with the amount of time that's passed. What do you like in your mind, knowing Emma as much as you do, what do you think likely has happened? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've kind of entertained all angles. I mean, when, when it first happened, the reason I didn't think she actually was missing was because she usually avoided people and she was very sensitive to wanting to ever be around people drinking or doing drugs or, or even just smoking, which is, you know, a large amount of all the groups downtown at night. So I just never really 
thought that she was running with the wrong kind of people. But I think when I found out that she had left her passport in her van and hadn't really accessed any money, I, I think that's just when I started thinking that it might not be just her taking a prolonged trip somewhere. And yeah, I mean, I really don't know what happened to her. Like the optimist in me likes to think she went somewhere secluded and just kind of passed on in her own way. Cause I, I feel like the essence of what she was really toying with was kind of an expansion of her self, which I think was in a way, I think she was not really able to handle this part of the world's culture and, and kind of, I think a lot of what she was seeking was not too different from, you know, the peacefulness of, of uh, passing. And that's kind of what I hoped. And as more stuff started coming out, there, there was kind of a gut-wrenching part of me that thought maybe something had actually happened to her involving uh, some sort of malicious people. The only reason I started worrying about that was uh, I had found out that she was seen, seen spotted uh, at some of the more sketchy areas around town uh, at, at the other shelter. And I think at that time, I was just, that made me worried because of how uh, fragile she seemed physically too. And I was just really worried about her wandering around those areas at night. And, and that's just kind of when I started thinking that, that it may have been something of, of that kind of dark nature. So yeah, that entire month, I, I, I kind of just went through every possible scenario but still just very much hoping that if that if I, I I do have a pretty strong feeling just that she's probably passed on when she was happiest to my eyes was when she was just having not a care in the world sitting underneath a tree for six hours just basking like she was so happy and just I I just really hope that if she if she did exit this world, that she was able to go of her own volition and not something that had happened to her from someone else. I want to thank you for joining Connor and I for what, in my opinion, was a very revealing conversation. In hearing Connor's memories of Emma and contrasting them with the version of Emma described by Ellen, Michaela, and Micah, to me, I'm left with no question that Emma was slowly being burdened by some sort of mental illness. If we were to continue following this narrative beyond Connor, I have ideas on who I'd like to hear from, but I don't think we need to go there, and for several reasons. The main one being that we've already heard about their interactions with Emma from her mom, Shelley. Hopefully you recall, but in part one of the series, 
we heard Shelley describe what she learned about Emma's last known days, including her interactions with the Sandy Merriman shelter, the cab driver, the young man who phoned police to report a woman in distress, and of course, with the Victoria police officers who turned out to be the last to see Emma. So I suppose in a way this series almost works in a loop, as by going back to part one, we can hear about Emma's activities after spending time on Connor's boat, and even after Micah passed her standing among crows in the pouring rain. In the end, what I've learned during all this is that the last known moments of Emma's life, like getting the credit card and the phone, aren't going to be understood using standard reasoning or logic, as that Emma as she existed on November 28th, was clearly deep into a disorganized hole she had been sinking into for many years. And by November 28th, 2012, Emma, obviously, had begun to lose control. Now, based on all this, when I hear theories that involve Emma strategically planning to flee society and live carefree among the homeless, I have serious doubts. As far as what happened to her, or where she is today, sadly your guess is as good as mine and any theories I maintain need some serious explanation. And that's where the series is going to go next. When we return in the final entry of this series, I'll be joined by Tyler Hooper, a Victoria-based journalist and writer who's also spent considerable time diving down the Emma Philippoff rabbit hole. Together, Tyler and I will share our thoughts on Emma's case and further break down the various steps we've taken during this series. There's something that the public doesn't know about Emma, and I feel like something in her personal life played a major part in her disappearance. And I don't know what that is, and I don't want to speculate too heavily out of respect for everyone involved, but I do feel like after talking with so many people that there was either an event or people or something that happened that really triggered it. And people don't want to talk about it. I, I had a few people who I interviewed allude to something, but when I pressed, they kind of got really, really quiet. And so I, I kind of held back, but I do believe there's something that happened in Emma's life that the public isn't aware of that, that may have played a major part in her disappearance. And with that, we'll end this episode of the nighttime series, Emma Philippoff is Missing. But first, before we part, I'd like to end with thanks. I want to give a huge thank you to Connor for being so generous with his time and so open with me about what must be a heartbreaking situation. In speaking with him, I'm again blown away by the friends and connections Emma had made along her strange journey. Connor just seems like a genuinely great guy, and I think for Emma, she was fortunate to have been close to him during what must be a hard time in her life. In fact, I have one last brief clip to play. Shortly after my conversation with Connor had ended, but before I had turned off my recorder, Connor began to reflect on his relationship with Emma. And what he said, I found very touching. In the time frame I knew her, like I was fortunate to see her in like a very, she was just radiating a really beautiful energy and it was a very nice experience to um, like see the world through like her eyes for that short time. And yeah, I, I, I guess I just feel, I think sometimes I'll get little pangs of regret. I wasn't able to help her 
or that she didn't show that side of her to me that was maybe not always in that kind of blissful state. I, I think her like whole story really illuminates how complex mental illness is. And, and then at times too, I, I can also just really relate to her wanting this sense of uh, kind of fantasy still as you get older. And there were a few times I feel before she started to become more unstable that I, I feel like she really did touch upon this kind of state of mind that was very, um, very ethereal. And, and just to see someone be, be that happy watching, uh, you know, the world go by was in some ways like a very ins inspiring part of our friendship. And that's how I like remember her I think most. Next a big thank you to Vox Somnia and Paragon Cause for providing the musical and ambient themes for the series. And lastly the biggest thanks of all goes out to everyone listening. Without you the sun would have rose on nighttime years ago. And for anyone out there who wants more nighttime please consider supporting my Patreon campaign. For a dollar a month you can access the ad-free premium feed which provides early releases of the episodes. And then, for only a couple dollars more, you can access the Nightcap After Show, in which I and a guest climb even further down the rabbit hole than what you'll hear in the main feed. For this episode's Nightcap, I'm going to release a discussion I had with Erica J. Schmidt. Erica is a writer and blogger and past student of Shelley Filipov, who produced a very revealing multi-part piece on Emma's disappearance. Here's a short sample of that talk. Yeah, the story was about, like, Emma's disappearance. It was about what happened before her disappearance, even her childhood. Like, just, it was her whole life, but also also Shelley's life. Um, and, I mean, Shelley had so much to say, and there was just, I mean, because there, it's so many questions, so it's really endless, you know? You can just go, I mean, I'm sure you found this with your exploration of the case. You can go down any any route like any possibility it can take you like just years yeah. to to get to the end of it if you want to hear this and my other supporter exclusive episodes you can access the premium feed by visiting patreon.com slash nighttime podcast and with that said i want to thank the new members of the support group angelina susan maggie bob and megan thank you for your generous support of nighttime for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't help financially, you can give me a big hand by telling your friends about me and leaving a positive review for Nighttime on Apple Podcasts or whichever equivalent you use. If any of you listening want to stay up to date with my activities on or off the show, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I use the handle at NighttimePod. And if you have any story ideas or would like to give feedback on the show, I'd love to hear from you at NighttimePodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and contact me on social media and give me your theory on Emma Filipov's disappearance. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte. Somebody somewhere knows something. She didn't just disappear. She couldn't just vanish. Somebody has to know something, Jordan. Somebody has to know something.